Hi, and welcome to Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. I'm Jeremy Wartzman, and I'm here with my co-host, Laura Chan Baker and Bianca Bremham. Oh, sorry. Oh. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello. That is all staying in. I don't know. Oh, God. Eyes in the prize. Here at Jackie Winter, our roles put us right in the center of the action in between client and creative, so we get to see all sides of the process. Each week, we come together in the glass case of emotion that is our recording studio and dissect three different links we've come across during our recent internet travels. We use these as a jumping off point to look at what's shaping the issues, processes, happenings, and ideas across the creative industries today. This week, we are going through our open tabs and we'll be discussing the rise and fall of internet communities, how to talk about yourself, and how to leave a job you love. As we do once a month, we're putting on our best novelty hand bar mustaches, placing ourselves directly into a circus cannon, and firing ourselves over to New York, or we are joined by our North American managing agent and producer, Bianca Bramham. Bianca, welcome back. What have we missed in New York since we last spoke? Well, the weather sucks. I have had the worst hay fever, and it's been incredibly miserable outside. So I've been feeling a little low lately for a number of reasons, and one that we'll get to towards the end of the show. How are you guys? Shouldn't it be coming into like warmer weather I, mean, oh, I don't understand. Hashtag bring on summer. Oh my God. I mean, <laughs> so I'm like, you're flying a kite on Instagram the other day. Yeah. I mean, I'm so sunburnt because Saturday was beautiful, but these last two days, it's just been miserable and torrential downpour. I'm just picturing you with the sad Instagram filter over your face <laughs> with all the black leaves falling down at the moment. Um, Laura, how are you going? I am fine. <laughs> you given the Jeremy response. Uh, no, that would have been, I'm Okay. <laughs> I've got that one down, Pat. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm fine. It's a crazy week, again, for reasons we will discuss later. Jeremy, how are you going? I'm doing good. I, I, I'm knocking wood. Where's some wood? The I table. Need, from Do Micah. That. Okay, knock on synthetic wood. Um, yeah, no, I've been having some good stuff. The table's lately. not real wood. What? Um, I don't know. No, it's, it, it's, it's like a composite. I don't know. Anyway, I'm feeling good. I've been having some sleep lately. Um, I don't want to kind of jinx it, but like, yeah, it's just amazing what a good night's sleep can do. Oh, I'm very happy for you, Jeremy. That's great. Thank you. And as it is the changing of the seasons, it is also the changing well, of the actual seasons, but the changing of our seasons too, as well, of the podcast as we finish what? Is this our seventh or sixth season? Do you even know? This is season six. This is season six. This is episode 10 of season six, episode 82. Absolutely nutso. And also the last episode for this season. Amazing. And yeah, we got some interesting plans coming up for next season. So stick around to the end to find out a bit more about that and when we'll be back. Because as we do with every seasonal break, we do take a few weeks off. But anyway, I'm changing things up here as well and starting first with my link. And my link for the week comes from the always reliable Artsy. I've been producing some amazing content recently and always. And this is titled The Rise and Fall of Internet Art Communities, written by Kelsey Abels. And yeah, this is kind of something we touched on a bit unknowingly a few weeks ago when we were talking to Stan uh, Stanislava here about kind of, you know, physical kind of art communities. And so um, it's interesting how these things are kind of just in the realm of consciousness at the moment. So look, I love the fact that we can return to topics that on the one hand are things that we've covered before and but on further inspection actually allow us to go a bit deeper into certain subject matter because Look, we've talked about art communities here before. We've talked about ANSI Art Collectors, something that I was very kind of personally um, involved oh, with. Way and back some seasons ago. Way back. Um, and then, you know, as we talked about with Sandbuff Physical Art Collectives previously, but, but this time we're tackling things from the more recent past. So specifically artist collectives, in particular, DeviantArt and Tumblr, and how they were consumed by more recent platforms like Instagram, another 
favorite topic of ours, <laughs> especially just kind of artists trying to figure out like, you know, where they exist right now, like this kind of existential crisis that artists are having kind of in this digital space. So the piece itself has a really very thoroughly hyperlinked and documented timeline showing the rise of the internet and how artists kind of congregated within it and how they kind of made order of it. And it's amazing to see how the development of particular technology gave rise to specific platforms and how these platforms eventually informed the machinations of larger platforms, which eventually kind of subsumed them through their consolidation of the internet as a whole. Now, I'm going to quote from the article here where Kelsey writes, before big tech shepherded the vast number of online users into a handful of sleek websites, there was a scrappier internet where offbeat chat rooms and eccentric niche websites reigned and carefully crafted away statuses were a kind of personal branding back when you could be away from the internet. And I remember so vividly the kind of what these universes were. I mean, whether they were kind of, I mean, it was AOL and Prodigy and kind of CompuServe in my day. And, you know, I think that all kind of the, the types of graphics that you saw, um, Oh, you know, it's so funny. At- it was so funny for me reading this article and thinking back on my own internet history because I always mm-hmm. wondered what why I had any interest in pursuing multimedia design at university, but I seem to have blocked out of my memory the weird little online communities and like online creative mm-hmm. pursuits that used to keep me busy after school as like a 12 or 13 year old. And I'm 32 now. So that's like almost 20 years ago. You know, I used to love making websites and making my own website graphics first in MS Paint and then in the early days of Photoshop learning HTML, learning CSS, you know, like I wish that I could like dig into some of this like early, (laughs) early internet history, like, you know, like making my own little cartoon dolls edits in Photoshop. Well, I mean, that, yeah, that's another great piece um, that Kelsey does here that she does kind of a real great overview on how in attempts to order the internet that these communities were founded and how these things transition from these kind of smaller islands of creativity to eventually larger platforms and and calls out DeviantArt and conceptart.org and how truly engaging and successful these sites were about creating this community and how it actually kind of went out to have these kind of physical manifestations as well. So there was mail art, there was in-person meetups, and there was genuine criticism and conversation about this work, which all makes sense, I think, given, you know, the relatively small population of the internet at the time. Um, And then in 2005, again, with more available tech like digital cameras and cheap hosting, along with a booming population, this ushers in a whole new level of services like Flickr, YouTube, Facebook, etc. More platforms mean kind of thinning out of users on these specific sites, which I think brought me to the crux of the whole piece. And I'll quote this below. And she, she got some amazing quotes here. And these were from the founders of DeviantArt. And apparently, I read this, I didn't know this in the piece, but still, two of the three founders of DeviantArt have still not met in person. Also, That's so that's crazy. Amazing. Um, so she says that the founders of DeviantArt foresaw the fracturing of the community early on. And this is a meta quote. This is me quoting the article, her quoting the founder saying, there were probably a hundred of us in the original community. And that was already a lot of people trying to have a conversation, Stephen said. What happens when that chat room is now 500 people or a thousand people? All of a sudden, it's a concert venue. And the very concept of scaling a community seems oxymoronic. It is a problem that plagues the internet today. How do you make a now sweeping internet feel smaller? Now, I think this is a really interesting and potent question to pose as I'd argue that it's something we're facing in a much bigger way as the actual kind of population of the world grows and we try to figure out like, how do we live in this new reality? It's, I was watching, have either of you seen um, Ralph Breaks the Internet? Wreck-It Ralph Breaks the Internet? Yes, no. I loved it. Oh, so good. It's so good, yeah. But the way that like, you know, like, if you like to actually personify the internet as this kind of physical place, yeah. like I just loved how it did that and how 
just kind of crazy it felt, but how it's kind of mirroring the world in, in a physical way as well. As the internet consolidated, it moved towards homogeneity and passivity, and the internet's once vibrant art communities became casualties in social media's rapid obliterative rise. At this juncture, she brings up kind of Tumblr as a sort of bridge between the internet of yesteryear and today. However, much like any other huge platform, say Twitter, for example, abuse was running rampant. They eventually banned adult content, which hurt many marginalized communities such as LGBTQ audiences who found a safe, creative haven there. But they also kind of talk about like how these platforms actually influenced the actual kind of visuals, like kind of certain things that the way kind of Tumblr looked actually affected kind of culture. So there was this kind of I guess it's kind of melding over there as well, which is really interesting to point out. So now we're left with Instagram, something I think we all agree is simply the bad place. <laughs> I, I, but I mean, I think in, in so many ways, what I was really grappling with this was, it's like, I don't know if it's like people talk about how the algorithm is kind of so bad, but I also kind of feel there's just so many people on Instagram and so mm. many people we know. And I think like all these platforms, yes, they just attracted kind of just artists at the time. And then they just attracted more and more people. And I think with everything else, like, yeah, like if because all of your friends are on Instagram, and our kind of social networks are so kind of large right now how else do you kind of start to call that down? So, I mean, mm -hmm. the, the algorithm seems like a bit of a natural, you know, way to kind of do things, but this isn't about the algorithm. I don't want to kind of go in there, but I think, <laughs> you know, this, a lot of this piece is about kind of how all these communities form as kind of reactions to kind of one another. Um, she also kind of mentions Elo, something we've spoken about here before, as well as a platform I've never heard of called Pillowfort. Have you guys ever heard of this? Nope, not until I saw your notes. <laughs> Apparently it had a huge uprising after the Tumblr ban, but the overall functionality and aesthetic left me a bit wanting personally. Um, we obviously have behind dribble and art station but actual kind of community hubs these places don't really do it justice they're more kind of professional folio sites now kelsey closes the piece as stating in the early days we surfed the internet but today we are submerged in it in the wake of data breaches election scandals and studies that social media sites are taking more than just our time another shift may be taking place interest in digital wellness and a slow web is rising as users are looking for ways to spend their time online more meaningfully some relics and rituals of the early internet are probably better left dead the acronym TTFN, the dial at modem tune, the wait for images to load line by line, but the collaborative creative culture it fostered is bound for a revival. And with, on that note, I have to say I completely agree. And, and I'm surprised there was no mention of platforms like Slack and Discord, two platforms that have been kind of completely used in surprising new ways, but also two apps that are a huge throwback to ICQ. That was a platform that was the basis that formed BBSs and other kind of these communities where people wanted these other ways to kind of gather. And it was just a huge foundation there. And Slack, I think, gets a lot of criticism for simply being another distraction. Did you not want to rhyme with Flack? I did Is that not what want, happened? Hey, shut up. <laughs> did not want to rhyme with Flack. Um, Slack, Slack does get Flack um, for simply being just another distraction and making your lives more difficult. But it really seems like one of the clearest entry points for this next wave of interaction. And there's also this, I mean, there's also kind of Patreon, which is another kind of huge way that communities have been formed. But I'm, I'm you know, one thing that's kind of surprised me about Patreon is like Patreon is this very kind of top down thing. It's like you have someone at the top and then you have all the kind of Patreon and followers kind of supporting that person. And I'm really surprised there hasn't been more kind of a decentralized approach where it's like everyone can just kind of join for a specific purpose and put in money and resources that they can kind of redistribute kind of back to themselves. Without trying to make this a plug for Corvette, I've definitely seen firsthand how this technology will be a key driver towards bringing a slow internet back. And I think the biggest difference, though, is that it's going to be less of a freeform experience. I think it still needs to be led somewhat, um, maybe not that Patreon model, but kind of like with Corvette, how we have our AMAs and FBFs, fake brief Fridays, the conversation, the community has to just be nurtured a bit more. And I think that's really possible. And I think the results that come from it are equally as inspiring as the early internet communities that exist and she outlines here.
furthermore, I'd even go on to say that Jackie Winter itself is like our own community of artists. And I think that was yeah. really driven home for me last week. Um, we had a really amazing kind of event and lots of our artists kind of came out. And yeah, it was it was a real heartwarming experience. So look, I don't want to go on too much here. Um, I'd like to chat more about it with you too. B, I'm really curious to hear what you see in New York. I think, you know, everyone is looking for kind of the new Instagram, the new app, the new software that's going to kind of save us. But in reality, it's probably already here staring mm-hmm. us in the face. And I think in many ways, the physical communities we spoke about last week are going to be the second bigger driver here, especially when you consider co-working spaces. So I've kind of seen that rather than the old model where things kind of started in the digital realm and then manifested themselves physically, it seems like the current reaction is that things are starting to actually exist physically and then going kind of digitally, especially as people, I think, value personal interaction so much more now. So I'm curious, what are you seeing? Yeah, it's interesting because thinking back on like my own flirtations with like an online art community as like a 13, 14 year old, like I think I never really pursued it beyond it being like a phase during my teenage years because it was this little online life and it was really online only. It never crossed over into IRL and I'm someone who needs physical reaction, but it was also really superficial. Like it wasn't like I was totally passionate about web graphics. Like I had other interests like outside of computer and I've never been someone that's been fully comfortable with like making friends online and then, you know, like pushing that. Or into- making friends at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, Sorry. like in, I think like there's, there's something to be said about like, you know, I do have a lot of friends now, especially, you know, you meet people very briefly in a place like New York and then somehow you exchange Instagram handles and then you're kind of like seeing each other's lives and every now and again you actually pull that into like a an offline relationship which is always really nice but um yeah there's definitely been a resurgence in like building physical spaces to actually nurture these communities offline but you know New York as a city it's this special place where there's really you know it's got such a big population and and it's full of a bunch it's like it's a city that attracts weirdos and you know there's an audience for pretty much anything here and any night of the week you can kind of probably find an opportunity to meet up with like-minded people and you know it also sort of like has always nurtured these kind of like old worldly social clubs like you know Soho House and and gentlemen's clubs and things like that and probably like you know in terms of the creative industry the most New York physical community that I can think of that's kind of been nurtured recently is that coveted female only co-working and community space the wing mm. you know which is essentially a women's which club. I always call West Wing by accident <laughs> yeah. which is different <laughs> well, yeah and then you know there's of course like events like creative mornings and other smaller events and opportunities for creatives to meet like-minded folks like you know um, I've been to a makers club before, um, monthly drink and drawers. Um, you know, it's also been interesting to see in the last sort of two weeks that Facebook have repositioned themselves and redesigned Facebook to really focus on events and communities. So kind of like acknowledging this, yeah, for communities to exist and to be nurtured and to kind of like you know, maybe try and push people offline a little bit more. But I mean, I don't know if I can really think of any really interesting examples in New York of things like starting physically and going digitally. But I guess, you know, Jeremy, as you sort of said, there's a lot going on in terms of where we are and how we got here and this real craving for community and support, whether that's online and offline, like both in the creative community and, you know, just in the world in general. Um, And, you know, definitely for interactions to feel more authentic and engaging and with a lot more depth and discussion than, you know, current 
platforms like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, which can be incredibly passive and feel so superficial. You know, I think everyone is really craving something a little better than what we have right now. And, you know, you look at the way that Generation Z use Instagram um, and it's completely different to the way that I, a millennial, would. Like, Lara, you and I talk a bunch about how social networking is definitely moving towards closed private networks rather than something Mm. that feels more like you're broadcasting your life to the world. And, you know, some of my favorite social networks right now are the group message threads that I have with my friends. But I definitely thought it was interesting that this article didn't mention Slack or Discord at all because 100% that's where I found the most thriving online communities, especially for art and the creative industry. I mean, I'm a part of, um, and we've had Carly Ayers on the podcast before who runs a wonderful Slack community called Hundreds Under 100, which um, really is, it's incredible to, to watch it be so thriving online, but also have such a physical presence as well. Like there's always like these little sort of like freelancer meetups where people get together like once a month and talk about being a freelancer and then take all of the information that they, you know, that they shared during one of those IRL events. And then it goes into this like collaborative Google Doc that then the whole community regardless of where they live shares. And there's a great podcast, which I'll link to. Okay, but I really want to be on it and I'm not. And so this is just making me really (laughs) mad. I'll see if I can invite you, but there's a great podcast. It's actually a podcast about communities. I forget, it's called Get Together. But yeah, Carly talks a little bit more about the community and and building that. But yeah, I'm not sure where, what the the new thing is that's going to solve everything. But I think these really sort of like niche communities where they, they do feel like safe spaces to have bigger deeper conversations. I think that that's where we are right now. Really good points, B. Um, look, Laura, you're probably an equal contender for me in terms of um, the number of Slack groups in your sidebar, or at least that I kind of peek at. I'm <laughs> curious, what are you saying? Um, as someone who grew up with these you know, communities of a smaller internet, do you think that's the solution here, making the internet feel smaller? Or is there another way perhaps in the middle that you predict this could somehow go? Oh, I think firstly, just what a bloody fantastic article. I think seriously, everyone go have a read. It's a fabulous deep dive. There's lots of stuff in there that Jeremy wasn't able to cover today. Uh, and huge kudos to the writer, Kelsey Abels. Um, I also noted she's an editorial intern. Artsy, give this woman a job. <laughs> That's very good. Yeah, like B, this piece set me like into some kind of time warp looking at sort of old things. I also found, and I'm going to very slowly turn my screen around and Jeremy, you're not allowed to say anything to anybody, but my deviant art is still active and it's the worst thing you've ever seen. Does that say nipples? It says nipples. <laughs> Jesus. Isn't this lovely? Get it away from me. Yep. I'm desperately trying to deactivate it, but I don't have the email address anymore. So anyway, moving on back to your question, man. I mean, it's just such a hard question to answer. I think, yeah, I feel like we are at this very weird and significant turning point in technology and politics and culture and environment and, and everything else where, I don't know, I truly have kind of absolutely no idea what's going to happen next. I think there's this very palpable removing of borders of these kind of macro global communities. And at the same time, this real sense of like constant fragmentation and divide. I feel like every sector of our lives is faced with these very noticeable polar divides, this kind of distinct push and pull in a way that I haven't experienced before, at least in in my sort of short life. Anyway, all of this to say that I, I really kind of have no idea and not because I don't think about it, but because we're in a weird age where people's needs and desires 
kind of requiring very conflicting things. Uh, that battle between kind of sharing and privacy between local and global, between uniqueness and trends, these things have always been there, but it's reached this kind of unprecedented boiling point that makes things like the future of art communities very hard to predict. Mm. And, you know, there's a point in the article where she notes that for the first six months, the DeviantArt founders commented on every single post on the website <laughs> with constructive criticism. And the thing is, like, in this day and age, when you try to do something like this or anything else, and it's good and it works, then there's no way to stop the word from spreading. Do you know what I mean? Like to stop more people wanting to join in and back to that push and pull. This is a good thing, but it's also a bad thing because as you know, to Jeremy community, at least in the sense that we're discussing, it can't really be scaled like that. Uh, but you can't do something great and successful and useful that relies on community participation without it inevitably scaling or at least naturally trying to. It's either like bad and it doesn't work or it's good and it eventually doesn't work anymore. I think even something like COVID community, as you said, I think it works fantastically where it is now. And I think there's a very long way to go before it loses what makes it great. And in fact, it would really benefit from more voices at this stage. But something like this still could get too noisy and erode the conversations that make it special. Because yeah, as you said, I'm part of a lot of Slack groups, but they're all relatively small, like medium at the moment. And the Slack groups that I've deleted are all the ones that got too large and too noisy and too hard to have kind of impactful smaller conversations in. I think I'm really interested in the kind of thing that Jeff Amata is doing with Boom's Feedback Club. Have you seen this? No. So we've talked to and about Jeff and Boom a few times on the show before and, and about the Slack group they run. And the Feedback Club is kind of an offshoot of this. Basically, each month people can submit work for feedback on the basis that they have to give feedback to others, mm. which for this really lovely kind of constructive reciprocal environment and boom like collects all the submissions for that month uh and compiles them into a form and then sends them out to the participants to provide feedback for the others and at the end they put together a pdf of the feedback for each person and you don't get yours back unless you complete the form for others right so nice. i just think it's a fabulous idea and i think it yeah it brings back that kind of meaningful interaction mm. that deviantart once provided through its sort of transactional nature but again, I'm unsure how it could kind of scale, you know, like there are ways probably, but there's also a kind of level of hand managing things on Boom's end and the nature of the small, but kind of really dedicated community that they're working with that makes this as great as it, as it is currently. Like everyone feels accountable. Everyone kind of still sort of knows each other. So I just think that that helps this kind of thing to, to work and for people to actually give good feedback. Uh, and again, there's this issue of scaling that has the potential to ruin what made something great in the first place. And we face it in almost every endeavor. And in this world, it's kind of so poised for scaling, despite what we can see everywhere with people kind of recoiling from this. Mm. I just think the larger kind of capitalist drivers of our economies will continue to make smaller communities like this even harder to, to bring back and, and maintain. There's another point in the piece that stuck out to me where one of the founders of Concept Art talks about their first real world meetup and he was like looking around he was <laughs> awestruck at artists from around the world drawing in each other's sketchbooks and how he was so used to things being geographically limited and how amazing it was that this was now like a worldwide thing and I just felt reading that I read it a few times over because I just feel like it's bizarre to to think now about how that was actually really novel once mm -hmm. like now we've gone so global so limitless that we're kind of now grasping at boundaries again, trying to restore some sense of local, of, of, of intimate and of private. And the marks of this are kind of everywhere in equally positive and negative ways. You know, like I think about like languages emerging, but small dialects are being lost. People are able to kind of live and work in ways in places never thought possible, but also we can't switch off. And then also like, you know, our eyes are open to the sort of plights and cultures of communities that we never had access to. And at the same time, things are kind of assimilating into one boring mass. We have access to everything and we're losing the need to know anything for ourselves. And, and artists can find their true fans and at the same time, totally struggle for originality. It's just such a bizarre 
and conflicting time to be alive. So I know I kind of haven't answered your question, but it's it's because I really have no idea. I just think things could go in almost any direction right now. There you go. There's that feigned ambiguity that people know and love. From our <laughs> podcast. Uh, no, some, re- some, really, best? some really good points to consider here. So yeah, check it out if you haven't already. And yeah, I think we'll move on from there. Thank you very much. Bianca, our second link comes from you. What do you got for us this week? My link comes from Julie Zhu. She is actually the VP of product design at Facebook. Um, I've also wa- I've always wanted the title of a VP. I think I'm going <laughs> to... Jeremy, anything can happen be. For that. I mean, it's not a title that we have in Australia, but it's like, you know, there's VPs everywhere all over here. She's also the author of a book, The Making of a Manager, which I currently have on my nightstand and I'm trying to find the time to finish. This link is an article. It's titled How to Talk About Yourself in the Best Possible Way. And Julia published this on her blog, The Year of the Looking Glass, which I highly recommend digging into. Now, we're currently in the process of going through an exercise with our artists, which involves them making the time for some some kind of intense reflection on their work, their practice, and their journey as creatives. And now the feedback that we've received from some of them is that talking about yourself is completely awkward and the whole exercise Mm. has been anxiety inducing and you know like I kind of agree like it is awkward to talk about yourself so I thought it might be worth digging into this a little bit on the show today and to give a very quick overview of the article um, of Julie's article if you've read something like Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People some of the strategies she shares here especially the idea of being interested in others and using the act of talking about yourself as a way to foster a deeper connection or as a way to find common ground with someone. You know, if you've read something like How to Win Friends, you probably won't find concepts like this particularly new or groundbreaking. But Julie, she really has an excellent way at framing things in a way that's relatable to the modern worker and at breaking things down into very actionable exercises. She talks a lot in the article about finding your why as a way to make talking about yourself less icky. One step I really loved, which I think could be applied beyond talking about yourself for general PR purposes and into selling yourself perhaps more specifically as the best person for a project was step number two, which is realize that you're the primary actor in your life. And so you should also be its biggest narrator. And this step is all about not relying on your work, being able to speak for itself, but really using words to supplement our actions. And, you know, as producers, we often define part of our role as being there to really help guide the process so that everyone involved in a project understands what's happening at each step of the way and their expectations are managed. So this idea of really taking the lead and getting comfortable in a narrator role could, I guess, also be applied to anything, including helping a project run smoothly. But back to the awkwardness. Now, Jeremy, you probably participated in the most interviews out of the three of us here. You're also a business owner. How comfortable are you in talking about yourself and particularly (laughs) your achievements or successes? Does it come naturally to you or is it something that you've had to work on? Oh, that's, I mean, that's such a good question. I mean, it's, it's. (laughs) Great answer. (laughs) Here you go. There's, there's that famed ambiguity. It's like, yes and no, maybe somewhere in the middle, it depends. Um, It's really interesting. 
it is really interesting, but it is interesting. I mean, and that's why kind of I love doing this podcast because it gives me time to actually kind of think and reflect upon these things, which I think when you own a business, like you're on autopilot, like a lot of the time. And I think, I don't know, like I think with the storytelling aspect, that's one thing I found really frustrating, especially in interviews, like when I have to repeat the same thing kind of over and over. And I think what that really kind of helps from, like I, I kind of find that I'm always kind of editing the story kind of in that way as well, because I'm always trying to, when I'm telling a story, I'm always trying to tell it to the person who I'm kind of speaking to and different people always need to hear information in kind of different ways. So I kind of think, you know, there, there is kind of the actual subjective experience of kind of, of, of being in the business and being kind of in my life and kind of what I'm kind of trying to do, but when I'm trying to explain it to other people and I, I, I always kind of change it a bit, but I don't know, personally, I've always had a lot of issues like, you know, I, of being happy kind of with what I've done, which I think, I don't know, I don't that want is, to. Uh, <laughs> what? That makes me mad because you've achieved so much. So it's like, <laughs> oh, God. Well, that, yeah, but I mean, look, that goes kind of a, a bit deeper into kind of other elements of my life. But like, I kind of feel it's such a double edged sword because sometimes like, you know, you know, when you're when you're not happy with kind of that one thing, like, you know, it just causes you to kind of do more and do more and try to kind of keep doing more. And I think, you know, when we're talking about kind of communities and fostering those communities as well, it's like, I think that's a big thing for me this year, which is kind of more about kind of slowing down and trying to kind of be happy with kind of the one thing, you know, that we've got here and trying to really kind of perfect that, like rather than kind of trying to do more and kind of trying to get approval and trying to get everyone's kind of I don't know. So like, We've yeah. gone full therapy again and I love it. I, I feel gone... like I need to ask you like if your mom hugged you as a child or like. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's not kind of, I, I think, you know, because it's something that I haven't, that didn't come naturally for me. I think, again, that's kind of driven me to kind of do those things. And I like to have the work kind of speak for itself in kind of that way. So I don't have to actually kind of speak about it if that kind of makes any sense. But it doesn't. I don't think it does. That's the part that I take issue with with a lot of people is that people assume work speaks for itself, but work no matter what it is, whether it's actual, just let's say an artwork or if it's like your life's work or whatever. I mean, in some ways it definitely says stuff about you, but I think that point B that you, that you share that, that second one about being your own narrator because you're the only person mm. that actually knows and understands your life is so, so important because everything is subjective and people interpret stuff in their own ways and that's fine sometimes, but I think it's important particularly if it's talking about like you trying to get a job or you're doing an interview with someone that you are confident enough to direct that story. Mm, mm. I think there needs to be kind of a narrative. Mm. And I kind of think that's why the, the kind of process that we're going through at the moment is confronting for kind of a lot of people, especially if you don't have that kind of firm narrative and kind of firm Completely. sense of self kind of in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, throwing it over to you, Lara, like we're talking about storytelling here and a lot of the advice, advice that Julia shares boils down to really working on becoming a better storyteller and, you know, freelance creatives, um, you know, they're often tasked with being their own agent, marketer, publicist, whatever. And it, it can be really uncomfortable and awkward um, to talk about yourself and to talk about your achievements and really highlight who you are as a person. But, you know, in a crowded field, as you said, sometimes it's not enough to really rely on letting the work speak for itself. And Lara, you're a fantastic writer. I imagine there's some correlation between being a good writer, contributing to being a better storyteller. I'm curious as if you agree, but to really add to that, I mean, do you as a great writer, do you have any resources or advice for someone who might struggle with talking about themselves? And are there any artists or creatives out there who you feel do this particularly well? 
Yeah, thank you, Bianca. <laughs> um, to be honest, I, I find it far easier to talk about myself in writing than I do in speaking. I find it easier to do everything in writing than I do in any other sort of format, I guess. Um, I think this article is great and I agree with many of the tips listed here. The one I resonated with most though and what I kind of swear by for everything in my life was step number five, which was knowing your story clips. Uh, my MO is basically a balance of being passionate and excited enough about the things I have to talk about that I can wing it if I really have to, <laughs> but also being stupidly overprepared with notes and anecdotes and questions so that it hopefully kind of counteracts me forgetting everything when I get anxious. I think like the writer points out, there are absolutely ways to do this stuff without being a douchebag. I loved her first point about believing that everyone, yourself included, has a story worth telling. And her third point about being careful not to just focus on the facts of what you did, but on the whys, as you said, all that stuff that, you know, really makes it interesting. It, it sort of gives you color and it gives you relatable up and downs. I think acknowledging the backstory and motivations and nuances that, that kind of make you you. And those things are genuinely interesting because they're so different for everyone and they show vulnerability and openness that, that qualifies your achievements. And you can use them to talk about yourself in a way that's both confident and honest. I think we also have to acknowledge as well that this is a task that can be particularly tricky for women who've been kind of conditioned for eternity to be humble. So my suggestion is to surround yourself with people who celebrate your achievements, who make you feel comfortable with yourself and and practice telling your story authentically and, and proudly. I think as you suggested, B, being a writer definitely helps, yes, but being a copywriter specifically helps the most, I think, because when you're doing that sort of work, you're constantly trying to find new angles to make something interesting mm. and to sell it into whoever's reading or, or listening to it. So if you do that enough times, I guess inevitably some of it kind of bleeds into your ability to talk about yourself. And I think it also doesn't hurt that our jobs as, as agents and especially essentially, I guess, as salespeople, it means that we are constantly <laughs> tooting the horns of others, right? We have to get really good at unashamedly and honestly and unpretentiously, but confidently declaring the skills and triumphs of those that we work with. And again, doing that for other people does kind of help you to do it for yourself somewhat. I think one thing we can take from that is that it can be beneficial to pretend that you're talking about someone else or just to actually even run stuff past a friend. Just like the writer here, she talks about her time with a speaking coach and how they pulled her up on hiding her achievements. I think it's so easy to talk about the amazing attributes of someone that you're close with. So getting a friend to help outline your assets can be super helpful. I used to get friends help me write my Tinder profile, for example. <laughs> um, Pre-Dan, sorry, Dan. Uh, recently, uh, my housemate, she was applying for a job that she was mega qualified for and she had to address all sorts of things in the cover letter about her aptitude for the role and she is a super smart talented person but she had a really hard time showing it off and she ran her cover letter past her best mate and that mate knowing how wonderful and smart and talented my housemate is could see really plainly just how much she was underselling herself and forced herself to give her credit in places that she was admitting it to avoid sounding obnoxious in a way that only a best mate could convince you to do I think mm. and I think she ended up being off the job and didn't take it but I reckon that would absolutely be the difference between her getting the interview and not because the original thing was her sort of talking about like very much like her team as a whole did this, her team as a whole did that. And what they're looking for is what did you do? What was your role? Why did you do that? How did you contribute? You know, mm. and it took someone else looking at it to be able to do that for her. And I think we've had people in this show who do it really damn well. I think Stan or, or Miso, for one, who was just on the other week, Claire Brooks from way back in episode 27, uh, Georgia Francis King from episode 62. These are like fascinating, talented people with really unique stories, but also really great abilities to talk about their work and their successes in ways that are like really gripping to listen to. And you come away from it thinking like, wow, what an amazing person, but not like 
oh, they just spent the last hour bragging to me, you know, mm. like, and there is a, it is a fine line and it's really hard. But I think when in doubt, most women way underdo it and you're probably not at risk at going overboard. I think there's a flip side to this as well, which is kind of talking about your your failures and yes. your your kind of trauma as well and like and how kind of therapeutic that can be and how I kind of think that communication skills are really important to foster universally, not just kind of visually. I mean, as designers or artists, you know, commercial artists are always kind of tasked with kind of this whole idea of kind of storytelling. And I was just, um, I just listened to this audio book um, called Touching the Void. Have you, either of you heard this? It was... Um, no, it sounds sexy. <laughs> no, it's about ice, it's about ice climbing. Um, it was from, it's, it's about kind of these um, two climbers who are kind of, one of them, they get Oh, just like this amazing kind of survival story, but wow. like yeah. yeah. But does anyone cut their arm off? Um, well, close. There's one guy. Kind of, <laughs> there's one guy falls, like breaks his like knee, and has to kind of descend this huge kind of mountain just kind of like by himself. Why does anyone do this? Anyway, yeah. But it was the, the amazing part of the epilogue, kind of talking about how he kind of turned into a public speaker, kind of after that, and how he had in really severe PTSD, like kind of from this Oof, episode, but how by telling his story kind of repeatedly over and over and kind of front of audiences, I think, you know, helped him kind of heal kind of through that. Mm. And I've kind of found through myself, it's like- That's, that's the idea of therapy as well, isn't it, right? Well, exactly. It's all about kind of storytelling and kind of, you know, retelling your story and kind of, yeah, re kind of arranging things well, in your brain. To help yourself understand and organize the thoughts. See, you're fixed now, Jeremy, after years of therapy, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely feel that public speaking has been a huge part in helping kind of crystallize mm. my kind of- um you know, my kind of thinking about the business and like there have been oh, times absolutely. where I feel the same, know, like where I have like come up with absolutely kind of new ideas, like from kind of speaking about things, especially speaking about things in a way that I felt was very kind of formulaic. Just sometimes I've realized like, okay, this isn't getting through to this person or I'm not engaging with someone in this way. And like, how can I do it? And I'm completely the opposite of you, Laura. Like I do not prepare kind of in that kind of I same know. way. <laughs> but, but I think because I have a, a few kind of bedrocks of things that I like, you know, those yes. kind of markers that I kind of, that I really kind of use as kind of signposts that I can kind of then navigate out from. But um, yeah, like I think I think it's a great it's a great piece. I think everyone should it, it's it goes deeper into this idea of kind of storytelling as a real kind of substantial kind of skill and kind of why it's kind of mm. need it rather than just kind of lip And B, how's the, the book itself so far? It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. really cool. easy to digest. Yeah. Keen to read. Awesome. Well, thanks for bringing it to the table, B. Much appreciated. Um, we will move on from there. now to our final link. Laura, take it away. Yeah, it feels really weird to be the last link of the show. I'm not used to it. Uh, and actually, don't hate me. I've got two links, but they're both short. <laughs> so look, there is a reason for our weird switch up today. It wasn't just to be, you know, funky. Uh, and it's a reason that's both happy and sad. And there's no other way to do this than to just rip the damn bandaid off. So this week, well, actually last week, by the time this episode airs, is my last week at Jackie Winter. After five years of working alongside some of the most incredible people in the whole entire world, it is time for me to uh, spread my wings, as they say, and explore some new territory. And the reason we put my link third today is because it's all about what it's like to leave a job that you love. And if I'd gone first, that would have given away the secret. And also I might have cried through the rest of the episode. If you have listened to the show for a while, or if you know me in real life, then you know just how seriously I do take this role. Um, it is not just a paycheck and it's not just a kind of clock in, clock out type of deal, being a Jackie Winter agent and producer and in particular being guided by people like Jeremy and Bianca has been one of the most formative, proud, engaging, demanding, invigorating and educating experiences of my life. I came in here pretty damn green and I leave here 
uh, somewhat less green, I guess. I am beyond grateful for the opportunities and experiences that I've been hashtag blessed with during my tenure. And as cliche as it sounds, I think making the decision to leave has been genuinely one of the hardest things I've ever done. I gave a very lengthy six month notice. So we have been keeping a secret from you guys for a while. And in all that time, to be honest, I actually still don't know if it's the right move. I think on the one hand, I'm very excited to to step out of my comfort zone again and challenge myself with completely new things. And on the other, I am devastated to be leaving a team of people and that's staff, artists, clients included that I admire so enormously, work that I care about very, very much. And also the security that comes with that. I see such glaringly bright things in Jackie Winter's future and it's painful to be making a conscious decision to not be a part of that, particularly with a company that I feel so heavily invested in, both professionally and personally, and with long-term projects that I'm not going to be able to see to the finish line, which kills me. So Jeremy mentioned a party before. We had a farewell party on Friday night for myself and also for the wonderful Micah Paro who wrapped up recently as well. And someone on the night said something to me that's been kind of bouncing around in my head. And I'm very sorry, I can't credit who it was because I had had a lot of gin by this point. But they said that the the fact that you felt the decision to leave was right at some point, then despite how you feel now, it's probably still right, which mm. I think might be true. But even if it's the right choice, it's still a really bloody hard one. And now in my last few days here, it is a particularly emotional, stressful, weird experience. So the first piece today, which comes from the Harvard Business Review, it speaks to some of this difficulty. The piece is titled just how to leave a job you love. And it talks about leaving these roles, like ending a long-term romance and Yeah, like some of it is a bit of a wank in this piece, but there was some good stuff in there too. To quote from it, we no longer want just respect, security or money from our jobs. We want passion, fulfillment and surprise too. We want, in a word, romance. Organizations take those wishes seriously and do their best to win our hearts. They no longer attract talent with only the promise of material reward. Their recruitment pitches promise that you will find meaning, you will grow, you'll be part of community and you will help change the world. Scholars have spent decades studying what makes organizations win our hearts. It's called identification. We fall for organizations that reward our efforts not only with good benefit packages, but also with a better version of ourselves. When we are identified, we become what we do. We come to think of ourselves in ways that incorporate literally give our body to the organization's values. No wonder we can't stop thinking about our jobs and sometimes they make us lose our mind. That is just how romance works. It is demanding. It might consume you, but when it's good, it makes you feel alive. And I really resonate with that because Jackie Winter has absolutely become a really big part of my identity and leaving that feels like I'm kind of mourning a part of myself in a way. I know that sounds silly, but I, I think it's true. It is like a breakup and it's not one of those, you know, ones where someone's cheated or been an asshole, but it's one of those horrible mutual mature ones where you just kind of realize that your your futures look a bit different. But to leave the sadness behind for a moment, there was a second piece on the website uh, called The Muse, never heard of it, I don't know, but it was titled Five Lessons You Can Learn From The Time I Quit My Perfectly Good Job. Now, all five are pretty insightful, but the ones that stuck out to me most were the fourth and the fifth. So the fourth was to be open to the unexpected with an anecdote about a breakthrough email 11 months after the author quit their job that wound up with them landing an unexpected dream role. And the lesson being here that it's not always best to wait until something better comes along before you make a change because playing it safe can kind of hold you back. And if no one knows you're looking or if you're not exploring new things, you can kind of miss these weird and wonderful opportunities. So sometimes you have to leap first. And the fifth lesson was that careers are like a road trip. It's great to have a general idea of where you want to go, but mapping every road and pit stop out in advance ruins the fun. And the farts smell really bad. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Especially when you're in the hot box. Uh, And I think if you, you know, they sort of talk about if you stop thinking of diversions as wrong turns, uh, you open yourself up to more than if everything follows a specific plan. And I mean, I have never not known what I'm going to do next. I'm a very planned person. And this is 
the position I find myself in now. And it's, it's fucking terrifying, to be frank. Like, but it's also exciting to have room in my life for something different. Now, there is more to this story, a lot more of my sort of leaving this wonderful place that we really don't have time for. But for anyone wondering what is next for me, I am heading to Mexico for three months to eat all the tacos and, and to spend time with my family and travel around eat, a bit. Pray, and then I'm coming... Yeah, I'm going to go to Cuba. I'm going to come see you in New York, B. And then I'm coming home to figure it out. Hopefully find some freelance to keep me going until I find a new role that I can really sink my teeth into for the long term because that's what I like to do. In the meantime, if anyone needs freelance writing, producing or hosting, hit a go up. Uh, but before that happens, I really want to take the chance to talk to you guys about this kind of weird thing that most of us face at some point. And the two things I really want to know is like, what have your own experiences been? Have this, has you had to do this before? And what's your advice for how to handle it? be it's so funny because I think back to I like my mid-20s like I fell into a role straight out of university that I didn't really know existed and I was um, a studio manager at a animation studio and at the time that I started there was four of us and we grew into you know a sizable studio and they were my family like it was it, mm-hmm. like I adored my job I loved being a part of the animation process but it did get to the point where my mentor, the executive producer that I worked under, eventually left and 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 went to another studio and there was this kind of like lull and then a new executive producer came in and I was like, right, this is exciting. I'm feeling a little bit like restless, but I'm going to give this six months because I'm so excited to learn mm-hmm. from them and, you know, really like see what I can do here. And then like very quickly I realized like, actually, you know what, I think there's something else for me out there. And it was incredibly yeah. scary and I didn't know what it was. And I remember I would, I would have lunch with my mentor like once a month. And, you know, this was like a good six months of like, what the hell am I going to do? And, you know, I would sit down mm. with him and he's like, oh, Bianca, there's this role that's opened up at a post-production studio. Do you want that? And I was like, fuck, I'm, I don't want to work in post-production. And then like, you know, I sat down with like a agency TV producer and she's like, oh, I basic, I want to hire you as a junior TV producer. And I'm like, advertising doesn't feel right. And I kind of just, you know, I sort of like took a bit of time to kind of like think about what I really enjoyed and what I really, what things in my role really, I Mm. guess, made me feel good and made me feel excited and did a lot of writing. I always find like writing is really helpful. And and I I feel Uh, like it's the one thing that I, the one thing that I haven't done since I've been living in New York, which is terrible, but, um, yeah, it kind of like, I, I just like, I worked on it just internally a bit and and spoke to people and, you know, put myself out there and, and, you know, like, you know, would take out people for dinner whose roles I thought were interesting and just talk to them about like, you know, what a day is like for them. Because I honestly, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I knew that I needed to do something else because, you know, I started my job at 20 and, and left it. 25. And and I always had that feeling when I was like working, like, oh, I just wish that like, like, I feel like I know what I'm doing, but I feel like so many other people know way more than I do. And I kind of like want to learn all of this. And, you know, it was very, it was, it was a role that was my family and it was really hard to leave, but at the same time, it's probably the best decision that I ever made. And, and it was really funny that the, how, you know, I went from that role to Jackie Winter and that kind of came as a little bit of a surprise. Like I'd always known about Jackie Winter. Like I worked in a very complimentary, uh, I mean, I worked very heavily in animation, which was more in the film and television 
advertising world mm. rather than being in design. But yeah, I remember being at drinks one night before, like birthday drinks before I flew to New York for a month. And an old Jackie Winter employee, Monica Laskowski actually had said, hey, you know, we're looking for someone and your name came up, but we didn't think you'd be interested because you have such a great job and you really love your job. And I was like, I kind of just like sort of didn't think much of it. And then when I had like a month long holiday in New York, funnily enough, and I remember just like sitting and, you know, I'm obviously in this city that's really like inspiring. And I took myself to the New York public library and the fear in my, like, I was, I just, it took so long for me to sit down and write to a friend and say, Hey, actually, is there a job there? because I think I'd be really interested. And like immediately Monica was like, introduced me to Jeremy and we started talking about New York a little bit. And then I came home, had an interview and basically started two days later. Well, not really, um, <laughs> like two weeks later. But I just remember that feeling of like, I couldn't actually sit down and write this email to ask about an opportunity because I think it was scary and mm. I didn't feel like I was ready for it. But anything that I've ever done that has been any good for me has really been some leap of faith. Like I didn't really know yeah. what I was getting myself into, but there was, I mean, the, I think sometimes when something for me has been so like, I've had this feeling that I need to do it, but this also this like huge physical, like, like I, I can't even like said <laughs> big knot in your stomach. Yeah, that's what I've got. Yeah, that, <laughs> that has always like led to something that has been more incredible. Um, and, you know, moving to New York yeah. was, was one of those things as well. Like it took me a long time as well to really come to terms with the fact that I needed to ask for this, like I needed to make yeah. a change and I needed to move somewhere other than Melbourne because Melbourne for me at the time felt quite stifling and I didn't feel like I was getting, you know, inspired or engaged by the city and I needed to mm. move and do something else. And, but, you know, that was like, there was a good sort of like few months of real torment there and then like finally getting the courage to say it yeah. and not really knowing what I was getting myself into like I remember I think Jeremy when I sat down with you and, and we talked about moving to New York you were like well fuck it's crazy but let's fucking do it <laughs> and then like and here I am and and you know like and, and I'm at a point in my life where there's like a lot of you know I'm getting old and there's a lot of things that I want to do and achieve and and they feel scary and like very unattainable but I feel yeah. like I'll figure it out <laughs> Oh, I know. Well, B, thank you for that. I like. I don't know if that was really helpful. We're running out of time. <laughs> we're running out of time. But to close us out, Jeremy, I think like uh, B, that's really helpful. But I think as well, like I was kind of the thing I'm feeling at the moment is that coupled with um, it's the sadness about leaving this, but it's also the the fear of not having something else lined mm. up. You know, which I think is a bit different to some of the stuff that that you were doing, where there was there was always something else coming. Absolutely. Whereas I'm kind of jumping. Into Yes. Jeremy, do you have any any hot takes for me? Any hot tips? Something I can take with me? Come on, mentor me one last time. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, yeah. hopefully not one last time. Actually, no, no, of course not. Um, I don't. I don't even want to deal with this. So I like that wasn't very. I'm like not actually contributing well to the podcast right now because it's you know no, I'm no, so no, excited. I'm so thrilled for you, Lara, but also at the same time, like you were such a wonderful part of this agency and you know I've, I've loved working with I mean I've loved working with you for the past five years and yeah it's it's great yeah look it's 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 a you know 
echoing all those kind of sentiments. Um, obviously, it's been an amazing process to, I think, kind of, you know, the the winding down and the onboarding process, like, you know, they're two sides of the same coin. And even though one of them kind of seems kind of scarier than the others, they're both are filled with potential and risk. And I really am proud of the way that that you, we, the whole team have kind of managed this process, because like, I think people come on board and everyone has the best intentions as like a relationship, like you're going to be to kind of together forever. But I think the reality of how business works is that, you know, there needs to be this kind of movement. And like that is kind of natural. And I feel like especially, you know, Laura, for you and a lot of other people, like the niche kind of reality of kind of the work that we do is something that, you know, I like getting kind of I guess people with less experience in, and I think that's been the case, especially, you know, Micah started as an intern. I think, you know, you had had one job kind of previous to this as well. I'd had like four, but in kind of slightly different, I'd worked two in advertising and the rest all in writing, copywriting. And I think it's amazing to see kind of what people are able to kind of bring to the business and how the business has kind of changed, you know, because of it. Like a lot of the things that we do, you know, whether it's the expansion to New York, something like Use It or Lose It, something like Corvid, everything's a reaction to everything that kind of the people that are kind of in our community. And you you talk about, you know, these online art communities as well. And like I try to treat the business in that kind of way as well. And so I kind of feel that we've all kind of done everything kind of right. We've handled it kind of really maturely as well. And kind of, you know, it's about kind of constant checking in and seeing how people are feeling about the works, about kind of what we do and kind of making these plans. So it's kind of not like, well, someone just cacks it and then it's time for them to go. And now we're kind of in the lurch. It's like, you know, not only did this enable us to have these really big discussions about your career, kind of where you're doing and, and allow this kind of mentorship, but it also allowed us to kind of have, you know, to make you part of the onboarding process for new people that are kind of joining us and thinking about, yeah, what is this new phase of Jackie Winter going to be like? And one thing that I'm so proud of with the business is what's happened with everybody who has kind of been a producer here and kind of mm. seeing the kind of things that they've done. Um, the fact that like, you know, we're kind of all still in touch and they're still part of the Jackie Winter story kind of in a big way. So yeah, again, I don't want to kind of trumpet, you know, to blow our own kind of trumpet here, but while it has been kind of bittersweet, sweet experience. It has also been a really kind of positive one that I'm kind of really excited about. At the same time, yeah, I don't know. There's there's one of these things where it's kind of like I, I was kind of thinking about, yeah, what what kind of advice would I have for you or anyone else? And yeah, I think reassure me. <laughs> everything's gonna be okay. Well, I think yes. I think anyone who has I, I think I tell us that kind of artists or kind of anyone. It's like when the actual kind of raw kind of talent is there, um, things always kind of work out. I have never kind of seen an artist who's ridiculously talented not be able to kind of make a living, you know, from their craft kind of in some ways. It's a challenge to kind of find sometimes those opportunities. And I feel that way for every kind of, you know, producer as well. It's like that that's going to kind of happen naturally. But at the same time, like there is those kind of insecurities. That's something I deal with kind of every day as well. Like, you know, I... But like, we're not sure where the next job is going to come from or where the money is going to be kind of coming in from. And like, I feel you're kind of insecure in kind of every way, like in, yeah. in different ways. So it's kind of not something that ever does kind of go away. But I think the one thing that I've gotten better at is actually having kind of faith in momentum and kind of that the things you mm. do open up kind of other opportunities and certain kind of energy kind of put in a certain direction always seems to continue in that way. So that's kind of something that's worked out for the last kind of 11, 12 years here. So I think if it's, you know, if, if that's kind of true for us, it'll be kind of true for you in the same way. Well, thank you, both of you. Before we close this topic off, I want to take the chance to say a very public thank you to the both of you and to everyone else here at Jackie Winter. I'm with no exaggeration whatsoever. You guys have changed my, my life in ways that I had never imagined, and I will genuinely be forever grateful for that. You are both exceptional producers and managers, and more importantly, just exceptional people. And Anyone who gets a chance to be around you, learn from you, work with you is damn lucky and far out. Am I glad to have been one of those? Also, we should mention what this means for the podcast. Uh, yes. I am very happy to say 
<laughs> that I will still be co-hosting the show. So I'm kind of one foot in, one foot out, let's be honest. This, I, I, Great to leave that bit right to the end. This is our last episode for the season. So the next time you hear us, we will be recording from opposite ends of the earth. I'll be coming to you from sunny Mexico. But yeah, hopefully the main difference will just be a chance for some new perspectives from me as I kind of tackle this new way of life. And also I'll have a sick tan. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, when is, what's the date that we're coming back, actually? Should we let people know? I think we're, ta- we're taking like around, we usually take kind of a three or four week break. I think we're taking a bit of a longer one. Like around yeah, I think four it's four or five, or five weeks. weeks. Yeah, we'll update you. <laughs> but yeah, I'm really excited kind of about this new format in terms of it's going to be just me and you, Laura. It's going to mm-hmm. be a bit shorter, a bit more kind of focused. And Bye, I think, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, just got in front of <laughs> we'll be back on the 21st of June. We'll be back on the 21st of June. But no, but and also um, hopefully we'll be kind of able to chart kind of some of your journey mm-hmm. as well. And kind of so we can really hear a bit more about kind of what this process is like for you kind of moving on from here. And I can talk to you about what, what's happening over here. So, yeah. yeah, we're experimenting with a few different things that we might kind of delve into. But we're going to kind of keep our open tabs format for a bit longer, at least for kind of next season and kind of go from there. And yeah, also, I just wanted to say that I, instead of, you know, as a little bonus, I spent all of the money that I was going to pay you in kind of some other way. And I've licensed um, to play um, End of the Road by Boys and Men um, here <laughs> on the podcast. So um, cue that up, right? No, I'm just kidding. I, that would have been incredible. But also, how much would the license be for that? I don't know. I, I think I, I think we could possibly swing it. Who knows? I mean, I haven't seen it in many things. If you things. hear Boys and Men now, then we could afford <laughs> then it. Then we could afford it. And if you don't, if you well, hear um, nothing, didn't happen. Didn't happen. Um, <laughs> Laura, thank you for your link and for everything. And yeah, I I don't know. I don't I don't I don't want to get too uh I don't want to get we're, too we've got really a couple more days at this. Or you'll cry in each other's arms. Exactly. But I'm I'm glad you'll be back. I'm glad this is not kind of the end of the road, as you would say. But anyway, I'm not gonna drag it out too long. Thanks for the link. Thanks for everything. And I think that'll do us for this week. Before we go, we should make time for the brilliantly named Thumbs Up, Thumbs Down, Shaka, the time we dedicate each week to get the good, the bad, the completely breathtaking off our chest. Laura, what do you got for us? First, I want to note that you've already used completely breathtaking. I know, but I just noticed that note now. (laughs) I I left you a note. Okay, I've got a thumbs down. I feel like we've done too many thumbs up recently and I want to be negative. I was trying to book tickets this morning for a comedy show at Hamer Hall in Melbourne, a big one of the big ones, Dylan Moran's coming out here. And my thumbs down is for just not understanding seating charts and which seats are actually the best seats. Like it just really, it's really confusing. Like because all the all the actual good seats are gone, right? So you're choosing between like the worst of the worst. Really? And I find it really hard. I'm like, am I better off being at the bottom, like in the stalls, but really right at the back or right at the top of the balcony or in the circle where there's sort of some block? It's really hard. To be fair, to turn this around to a thumbs up, this was my thumbs down until I finished the booking process. And when you click a seat, Hame, or the art center actually shows you a photo of what the view is from that seat, which is an incredible way to solve this. So we turned it back around. This is not news for anyone in America who can use something like SeatGeek, which is kind of like basic. I've never heard of it. Well, it's like it's a whole kind of really <laughs> but you've never heard of anything <laughs> well it's basically a place where you can buy kind of secondhand tickets but they have you know they have photos um of the view pretty much for every seat in the entire arena it's pretty it's pretty amazing shit anyway. okay well someone do that for australia please oh my god that'll be my new business yeah. venture b what do you got for i have us? a thumbs up and it's my own personal productivity hack frequent listeners of the show will know how much i am addicted to instagram and i have been trying to figure out ways to like curb my instagram addiction and my like general social media consumption 
I was looking at the screen time feature on the iPhone the other day and I realized that you could uh, password protect your screen time. So my poor partner has the password. I have a one hour allocation of social media per day and only he has the password to give me more minutes. <laughs> it's like... Oh my God. Are you harassing no, him all the time? Not really. It's funny. Like, you know, I, I was like home early from like before him from work the other night and, you know, I didn't have any more internet minutes left because I used them like before I even got out of bed in the morning. And I was so productive. Like I cleaned the whole house. I cooked a really amazing dinner. I did everything oh. that I should have done. That wasn't just sitting on my How do you do this? Scrolling. Is this just built into the iPhone or do you need a special it's app? It's just screen time. No, it's built yeah. in. It's like in the Someone system. Someone help me. Anyway, we'll do this later. Anyway, highly recommend it. Yeah, if you it. have an internet addiction and also someone that is willing to be your password manager. Fuck, I've already done like two hours today. Well, yeah, yeah, okay. There's other problems around this because it, it, it counts like things like if you're using kind of maps or using meditation apps. Like, uh, like, like specifically yeah, like, for yeah. social media apps. Okay, into it. Jeremy, cool. what do you got? My thumbs up, or maybe it's a shocker, for Vest. I'm really into Vest. For Vest. Yeah, I think Vest like, are fantastic. The They're clothing? a great option for kind of winter. But like yeah. when your torso is really cold but your arms are hot? I know. Like I, I just kind of find like it's a great jacket alternative because for when like, you want to go to like a PC conference. Okay. I didn't realize we were <laughs> yeah, going to be like opening Midtown up Uniform, such the Instagram account. You're not aware of this. <laughs> no. Does what? it go well with your fedora? Okay. <laughs> I take this all Sorry, back. You about this? about this? No. Why do you love this? I'm too sheepish about this. We really want to know. Why do you love this? No, no. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm I'm moving on. I'm reading the outro. I feel very shook right now. We love you, Jeremy. Well, okay. That's it. Not best, though. That's it for this week. <laughs> if anyone wants to talk about vests, you can know where to email me. I think we'll wrap this up. I'm Jeremy Wartzman. She's Laura Chan Baker. She's Bank of Bremham. And this has been Jackie Winter Gives You the Business Season 6. Yes. Excellent. Our theme music is by totally unrelated to our company, Melbourne-based musician Jackie Winter. You can check out his stuff on soundcloud.com slash Jackie Winter. And if you want more JYGYTV, archives of all of our shows and links we cover can be found at JackieWinter.GivesYouThe.Biz. To receive all the links we talk about in the show in one neat little package, along with all other things Jackie Winter, you can sign up to our newsletter at JWG.Is slash newslettering. Again, JWG.Is slash newslettering. You can also find us mostly on Instagram at Jackie Winter. That's Jackie the Y. Winter likes the season. And email us with any thoughts feedback questions um feelings about vest at podcast winter.com <laughs> and finally remember this is an enhanced podcast if you listen to this using pocket cast overcast castro apple podcast you'll be able to see links to the articles as we're talking about them as well as other visual content and if you work for an ad agency or design studio and you're interested in our live extended version of the show called open tabs be sure to check out open tabs.rodeo for more info we will be on break for the next four to five weeks laura and myself will both be back sometime in june yeah 21st of june, june i believe 21st. you'll hear our voices our dulcet tones anyway um if there's anything you want to kind of hear us cover or kind of talk about there'll be lots of links to kind of pick through so yes again please email us give us some feedback podcast at jackiewinter.com bianca you want to do us the honors to just end us before you know we might not hear from you for a while um thanks for listening <laughs> sorry <I> was... <laughs> nailed it nailed it thanks for listening catch you next week Bye-bye. bye bye
there's always like these little sort of like freelancer meetups where people get together like once a month and talk about being a freelancer and then take all of the information that they you know that they shared during one of those IRL events and then it goes into this like collaborative Google Doc that then the whole community regardless of where they live shares and there's a great podcast which I'll link to okay but I really want to be on it and I'm not and so this is just making me really mad (laughs) 